Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. All right, welcome everybody back to another episode of Health Ignited, where we are having conversations to ignite your health freedom. Uh, Sonia Jensen, how are you? I'm great. I'm really excited about this conversation. The first time um, I had an experience of being around this individual, I was meditating in a room and something forced me to open my eyes and it was his energy and him just walking by. It was like there was magic in the air. So I'm really excited about yeah. this conversation. Yeah. So, and so the, the gentleman we're speaking to is Guru Singh and he's been a, a mentor, a teacher, uh, like a father, you know, he's just been so many amazing things to us over the years. And though our time with him hasn't always been extensive, but the, the blessings that we get when we're around him is just, uh, it's, it's life changing. So this, this gentleman is a yogi. He's a, he's a performer. He's a singer. He's, He's inspired millions of people all over the world. And I just want to read one of his quotes just to show the, the massive reach that this gentleman has. It's from the man, Tony Robbins. So Guru Singh has a love for all people, inspired way of living and mastery of Kundalini Yoga. And I consider him family. So if you don't know who Guru Singh is, I'm sure most of you know who Tony Robbins is. And it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today, Guru Singh. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. And um I look very much forward to the kinds of questions that you will develop so that we can, uh, you know, let the audience understand the incredible correlation between natural health and Kundalini Yoga. Yeah, beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, to, to mirror some of what Sonia said, you know, that what Sonia and I, when we ended up looking at each other, when you walked in that day, and this is probably going back almost 10 years because our son was, mm -hmm. you know, small. brand new little, little boy. So nine years ago. Yeah. yeah, nine years ago. And we both looked at each other and go, went, who's this? And then, and we, we afterwards we were like, it's like Gandalf literally Gandalf just walked in. The just walked in. <laughs> <laughs> and, and really that was the energy that, that, yeah. that we felt off of you. And, um, you're doing some amazing things uh, right now in the world, and we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the things that you've got working on as a result of, you know, pivoting from, you know, the current situation that you were in before. Uh, but before we dive in, I want to talk just a little bit about change. You know, we're in, we're in a world that is just riddled with challenge. Uh, I mean, people everywhere are definitely trying to find a way to anchor themselves into something greater, maybe some sort of uh, some sense of security, some sense of um, you know, normalcy or whatever that could be for somebody. How do you help people navigate some of the, the challenges of change and transformation uh, that, that feel so uncomfortable? Do you remember as a small child, um, when you take maybe a, um, a, a car, a road trip, and the, the common cliche, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, and as that little child, you are so excruciatingly um, chilled, you know, just called out because you want to be running around, you want to be doing things, you want to be getting into things. We're on that road trip as humanity. And we've been here before. 
And we've been through very similar conditions and circumstances before. And so what I tell people is, look at, we're on the journey. We're not at the destination yet. The destination is going to be remarkable. The journey is going to be, you know, challenging. I look back at uh, the medieval times in the Western world and, you know, the world was locked down. Art was locked down. Music was locked down. It was the Gregorian time. Music could only be unison or, or um, octaves, which is where Gregorian chanting comes from. And art, believe it or not, could not be three-dimensional because it was thought that the devil lived in the shadows. So it was crazy, backward, very stifling energies. And then all of a sudden, the bubonic plague hit. The pandemic of the bubonic plague. And it disrupted all of the stasis and stagnation. And all of a sudden, the renaissance occurred after the plague. And everybody was so just done with being locked down. And it's interesting because prior to that, it's also when the Magna Carta was signed. And so all of these things were working simultaneously, religion, the arts, politics, economics, all of these things were working simultaneously exactly as they are now. <laughs> Extremism, which is just, you know, the human psyche striving to get out of the bag. So some people use fanatic extremism. Other people use that inward journey of going into the depth of their, of their consciousness. Those that are using fanatic extremism are a part of that element of human development, the human evolution that hasn't yet evolved. Their younger soul bodies haven't yet evolved into an awakening and so therefore they're still in that stage which all children go through of being you know a little bit nasty you know and when you're in an adult body being nasty you can be very very nasty and so we see this all around the world where these aggressive um, really violent leaders, right, climb up to the top of power and, and try to gather it, you know, for themselves. It's just the natural way of life. And as, as those people of consciousness, it's our opportunity to not get wrapped up in it, not get caught up in it, not get, you know, waylaid by it, but get into an understanding of it. And in that understanding, we stand under it and we look at it and we go, okay, I understand this. These are children in so these are soul body children. They need to be embraced. They need to be guided, but they're not going to be guided by commands. They're going to be guided by love. And if we eliminate the fuel that they're using to, to fire their, their violent engines, if you will, 
And that fuel, by the way, is the even younger soul bodies that are giving, that are giving them that acknowledgement through fear. And our task is to spread massive amounts of love so that these super young soul bodies that are kind of like fueling the adolescent soul bodies, if you will, to be really vicious and violent and aggressive and bullying, if we can attract them with love, then these bullies have no audience. They actually have no, not only no audience, but they have no voting block either. And we're right on the beginning of that process. And the process is benevolent. No one gets hurt. A lot of people don't get what they want, but that's a good thing. And so when I'm talking to people about the insanity or so-called insanity of these times, I try to show them past examples and the larger picture of what's really taking place. For example, if you're a seedling in the ground and all of a sudden you get wet and you start to germinate, this is a freaky situation. <laughs> you have been safe within your shell for as long as it's been. And all of a sudden your shell is dissolving and breaking down. And then you have to start reaching because if you don't, you perish. You have to start reaching for the light and grounding in the earth. And that is the most disturbing moment for a plant. <laughs> and that's where we are right now. I we're love that, that metaphor. That's such a good metaphor. Condition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, the beauty of that is that, you know, as you're reaching, you don't really know which direction you're reaching, right? Like, that's that's the funny thing with that seedling. Mm -hmm. What a powerful metaphor. Yeah, and such a necessary process too for for it to actually grow into its potential. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's exactly what happened when uh, the scandal hit Kundalini Yoga. And it was like a cracking of the shell. And I look back on it and I just give thanks for the scandal because it removed all the limitations. Mm -hmm. And that's what's necessary. You know, all bad things have good polarities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I was thinking that as you were speaking about the polarities that we have them within us and we have them outside of us and globally, we're really tuning into those polarities of that love and that fear. And how do we, um, and I know you touched on this already, so I'm going to use myself as an example. I'm just going to use this time for me <laughs> to get Guru Singh's input into my life. Ah, um, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, you know, there's stuff going on in the world. Like for me, what's hit really home is what's going on with the farmers in India. And you have this oppressive government and you have these individuals trying to stand up for their right. And as a yogi and understanding when I look at that, that, okay, I can't move into anger against this other side because it's going to fuel their power. I understand that up here, but here in my heart, when I see elders being hurt or when I see like my ancestors, my family's land being threatened, I can't help but feel rage first and then feeling disappointment in humanity and then just feeling pure sadness. So how do we navigate actionable steps and then 
the other side of that of just being present and being and meditating and praying for things to change. I'm having a challenging time in this moment figuring that out. So I want to use I want to start by using a word that you used, rage. Hmm. What are the first two letters of the word rage? Oh, ra. Ra. Hmm. What are the last three letters of the word rage? Age. Age means time. Mm. Ra means light. Rage means time of light. Now, rage is a massive amount of time of light. When you have a massive amount of energy and you want to achieve something with it, you have to contain it but not block it. Mm. If you block it, it creates a bomb and it blows up. If you don't contain it, it just creates a forest fire. But if you contain it with a directive opening, you can use it as a, as a rocket, if you will. So rage is a good thing. It comes from the liver, as you know. It's the liver heat. And rage is, is containing that liver heat so that you actually are building it by stiffening the diaphragm. When you begin to relax the diaphragm through deep breathing, all of a sudden that ray of the age, the rage begins to come into the heart and the passion of the rage begins to create compassion. When it connects in this way between, between, I didn't know I was going to use this, but I might as well. <laughs> between, <So good. laughs> between the gut brain the rage is happening here, the diaphragm here into the heart brain, <clears throat> all of a sudden, all of the two-dimensional thinking of the head brain stops dominating. And as you can see, the Ekon Kar, right, is basically exactly the symbology of that three-brain system of being able to work with rage in a contained way and direct it ek onkar to the higher state including the two dimensions of the head brain the four dimensions of the timing of the heart brain and the three dimensions of the connection of the gut brain and all of a sudden you the rage becomes the fuel that allows you, rage is such a good thing if it's used properly. The problem that we have is that we think, oh, I shouldn't be rageful, I should be more meditative, I should be more compassionate. Well, it's the fuel of compassion. And so you must follow the rage because the rage, the rage is going to give you insight into areas that have been closed down. It's literally gonna, it's literally gonna take a, it's gonna disassemble the gates and doors. We are all on that side of the farmers of the Punjab, and they are representing a, they are a microcosm of the global picture. Because the one thing that we all share in common is the need for food. Mm -hmm. 
And another thing that all humanity shares in common is the need for water and the need for air. They have been commoditizing food, which has been controlling prices. And instead of those who are producing the food, being able to deliver the food to the public, it's going through this commodities system, which is speculating on it, and that controls the distribution. And out of that, it first started with the British economic invasion of India. Out of that, what you end up with is poverty and starvation. India was not a country before it was occupied. It was, it was brought into being a country because the British wanted to consolidate it. But it was a collection of, it was a federation of principalities. One of the things that India never experienced prior to the British occupation was poverty and starvation. Never. Wow. What the British started to do is they had a calculation. How much could they extract from India while leaving just enough for everybody to survive? Mm -hmm. But there was a couple of major droughts that completely turned that thing upside down and immediately starvation began and the system never changed. And that's the same way colonization is done throughout the world as they've created poverty and starvation by taking people off their land, putting them into these meaningless factory jobs and commoditizing their land with major agra and modified seed that's so counterintuitive. What the, what the farmers of the Punjab represent in this moment is the turning point globally. Mm -hmm. The farms of the world are going to turn from this moment. It's gonna take a couple of generations, but we are going to go back to where we were cultivating land more naturally without pesticides because control, uh, cultivating naturally, the pests become your friends rather than your plague. And food will become more natural, seed will become more heritage, and all of this is going to end up uh, being a blessing that looked like a curse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. For and you know, you come from, you, Sonia, you come from this, this blood. And that's why you mm -hmm. feel this rage. And that rage is a positive. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm so glad that you're speaking to this because so many people don't really know what to do with that, that energy and um, understanding it through that, that way to, to facilitate a container that allows some sort of direction uh, for that polarity is, is beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't help but think, you know, you know, again, another microcosm within this, you spoke a little bit just briefly uh, regarding like this, this disruption in Kundalini Yoga and I would, I would love for you to speak a little bit more uh, about that relationship to <clears throat> hierarchy, maybe, you know, a teacher that, that you have reverence for. And there's all, like you mentioned, the scoundrel and the, 
magic or I can't remember the, the other word, the master, the, the scoundrel and the master. I mean, we can also have that relationship to government or the, this idea of power, you know, things that are going on in India. And, um, but I'd love for you to speak to that. Like, how do we change the relationship to that, to that figurehead that we have, uh, you know, put on a pedestal or what have you? Newtonian physics has some very applicable realities. The one that is the most common in my application is the third law of motion, which is for every action, there's an equal reaction. And that means that within the physical material construct of the universe, what holds it all together is the, is the polarity of the action and reaction, which is the tension, pressure, stress, and friction. This is what creates matter, and this is what sustains matter. Tension, pressure, stress, and friction. What we have in life is that when you are in a, in a incarnation of extreme mastery, you are also going to be tempted by extreme, what word would we want to use? vulgarity way back hundreds of years even thousands of years in the world of conscious mastery what ended up happening let me tilt the camera i see i'm cutting off a little bit of the top of my head here um what what <laughs> Can't talk with that part of my brain. <laughs> what would happen is that they would create circumstances, almost institutions around being able to come accommodate the vulgarity. Hmm. Hence the evolution and the introduction and evolution of what was known as the temple prostitutes. The temple prostitutes were the concubines of these great masters who had actually sworn an allegiance to a sannyasi lifestyle. And it was always known as the masters became older that if they would be involved with younger women, it would increase their vitality. So this really horrible tradition was institutionalized. And it was considered the greatest honor for a family to to donate one of their young daughters to the local temple. So this tradition has been going on for a long, long time. And now, <laughs> as with many things between the male energy and the female energy, the female energy, thank God, is kind of standing up and saying, no way, <laughs> absolutely not. Yogi Bhajan 
was a master. No doubt. He didn't make this stuff up. What was it I wrote the other day? Um, he didn't invent it. He presented it. It wasn't invented. It was presented. And it was lineages of this incredible yogic science that had gone from, from the, the ancient uh, um, Krishna versions and, and all that had come through and even influenced Jesus and Muhammad and Patanjali's bringing it all into a coalition and then coming up into the time in which Guru Nanak was going to bring it sound and mantra into it. You know, so it had these moments throughout history. And then Yogi Bhajan comes along and he gathers all of it together. And the polarity was at play. Well, he didn't have an institution of temple prostitutes, you know, that had all that had died centuries ago. But his version of it is what we're hearing about. Because when you have that level of mastery, if you don't have what you have and what I have and what many have, and that is a solid partnership. And it can be male, male, female, female, male, female. It can be any form. But it has to be a solid, committed and absolute partnership, then there will be that part of your energy field that is just craving satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I will say that the mistake I see made was the construction of the nuclear family was challenged by the construction of the new family, the greater family. And what should have happened is that his immediate family should have been all-inclusive at the center point. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were to a degree, but they weren't to a degree and that degree that they weren't was the degree that this other thing was taking place in. And so it is what it is. I think it was part of the big plan because there's, there's, you know, there's only one, you know, creative force and that one creative force created all of this, the wonderful natures and the horrible natures. And the horrible natures, as you said earlier, sort of took the lid off, gave us more freedom, created Kundalini University, created whatever, whatever, you know, people are, people are branching out the way they never would have because the precursor of his mastery had a lid on the whole teachings. Mm -hmm. And so that had to be, dis that had to be uh, disassembled. Mm -hmm. And this was the way that the one creative force saw disassembling it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it also um, 
brought to light for a lot of individuals, whether they were actually accessing the teachings or they were actually just accessing the teacher and not releasing the teacher and going beyond that human that was having his own human experience. Because many will ask me like how I feel about what happened. And I've been so anchored into these teachings since I was young because of my upbringing that that this didn't shake my steadiness that was that kundalini yoga helped me with because growing up in a sick community i understood it in my heart but i didn't understand the why behind many of the things that we do and kundalini yoga gave me that ability to understand myself deeper so for me it wasn't yogi bhajan it was what he brought to the world that i think is so beautiful and has opened up so many lives so i think and like in shamanic training too, they talk about releasing the teacher. So I think this was just a way for everyone to release that teacher and let him go with peace so that we can bring to surface what you were speaking about before that grand mastery of love, because right now we're in that element of fear that many are transitioning from. And, and rage and rock. And rage. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's what you've said there is really um, very pertinent to uh, the ones who have thrown everything out mm -hmm. and I, I, I look at um, Einstein and all that we have gained from both good and bad. Um, I mean the atomic bomb is he regretted ever allowing for the atomic, the, the, the precursors to the atomic weaponry to have ever been published out of his works. But so much of what we have known from Einsteinian physics is, has been very, very helpful, world-changing. The man's personal life, if you read it, mm -hmm. was, the mo was one of the most horrible things you can imagine. His, he, he basically abandoned his son into an insane asylum because his son had the same brain, which was this monster brain. And instead of training his son to be able to contain it, he just let him go. Walked away from his wife, ends up marrying his own cousin. And, and, and it's, just, it's just the creepiest thing in the world. Does that mean that we don't live by Einsteinian physics? <laughs> yeah. Well, and... What you're describing there too is this state of dis-ease that we find ourselves in. We're we're so conditioned to to blame and name something as good or bad, like you say, the good, bad, right, wrong, yes, no. Um, when really it's it's inflammation. Inflammation is a provocateur or provoker, I should say, of like of healing, right? And you know, just to your point there. Absolutely, with in the forest. I love I love the comparisons with the plants kingdom because in the forests oftentimes there is a need for the forest fire in order for the seeds to germinate and those particular forests don't rejuvenate that often you know maybe once every hundred years there's a big subgrowth and it that's because fires don't happen you know, every season. The, provoc the provocative nature of what needs to take place in order for growth to be 
ignited, if you will, is uh, just exactly what's happened here. And if we focus on the fire and how horrible the fire is, then we completely lose pick the picture of what it is releasing and and liberating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I love that you brought that up because that was that was one of the questions that I wanted to or concepts I want to dive in with you today was in regards to this idea of loss, you know, loss of you know the teacher, loss of a way of living, the loss of a loved one. And we, we get it's kind of like you said, we get focused on the fire, we get focused on the loss when there's this whole gift of the time the the teachings as as you mentioned this this uh development of your own character as a result of the experience and you know there's a lot of people losing a lot of loved ones you know in in the world you know and that's always been the case it's just interface is amplified to such a degree that we've never had to experience before so i'd love uh to, to just continue a dialogue that sort of moves into this realm and, and you shared a beautiful story and a deeply heartbreaking story with us in the summer about um, uh, your grandson and uh, you know Sonia just recently lost her nanny and I mean and this is I mean this is a lot of stuff that's going on for a lot of people but I'd love to yeah just move move into this sort of dialogue around understanding loss and 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 is it a loss or can we get more a little bit more can we change that relationship to that word loss into what was the gift and, and what was the time that we had? We have in this, in this world, let me just see if I happen to have had it here um, amongst the drawings that are in my immediate environment. Um, Um, actually not. We have in this experience the soul body taking on a physical body. And the soul body is our immortal authority. And the physical body is our temple for a lifetime. When we are relating from our physical senses, we experience a loss in the passing of someone dear to us. And that's an important relationship. And that's an important acknowledgement. Because that is also an event. And so grieving is healthy because it is the severing of the ectoplasmic threads that connect physiology to physiology. Those threads go back through generations. The mourning and grieving process is the severing, and it's physically painful. On the other component, the soul body 
is never without the soul body of the other. It's like if you took a Harley Davidson motorcycle into a concert hall where a symphony was playing and you revved up the Harley Davidson, you would barely, if at all, be able to hear the music. And so it's a matter of which of the signals is dominating in the moment. It is, is it the physical signal? And if the physical signal is dominating, then you are to grieve the loss until that physical signal stops dominating. And sometimes it can be just a pulsation where the physical signal dominates and then a few hours later you're, you're out of it. And then a day or two later it dominates again. And then, and it, and it goes through this wave formation. Sometimes people lose themselves and actually hold on to the physical domination so that they actually just begin to spiral and orbit within that. And a lot of times that's just a very young soul body that hasn't had enough experiences with the process. So they need to, they need that. They actually need that. And it's not for us to correct. But at this level of experience, at this level of evolution with these really, really, really ancient soul bodies, our task is to grieve appropriately and then celebrate abundantly. Because at the completion of life, it is just that. It is a completion. And in many instances, with those that are around, that completion may not be a complete, complete completion, but it's a completion that's going to lead to a new incarnation. But with, and that's a progressive thing. But with some, you really know that was it. That was all that was needed. And that's, in fact, the case with our grandson, Tiaga. He just came in to touch the family. And then he was gone. And the reason that he had to touch the family was because He's a family guide. He's one of the archangels of our family. I'm using that as a non as a non-religious kind of statement. It's just archangels are the highest of the angels, you know. So I'm going, yeah, yeah. He's the he's the Maha Guru. <laughs> he's the Sat Guru, the Wahi Guru of our family. You know. He's that lens just between the infinite void of Om and 
the conditions of Ong, which create through the hand of Brahm to produce the hum. Yeah. And that, to have had that, this is what was, was wrapped around his body just before he was, he was placed in the cremation oven, right? Wow. And so it is a time to grieve and that is, ne that is necessary. And it is a time to celebrate or to become festive, right? Mana festation. M mana, the mind and now, hmm? festation, manifestation, that celebration. And in that celebration, you can manifest so much because that's what that completion of that life that's now been released that's energy and so being able to work with that energy is the blessing of a passing and being able to appropriately grieve is also a blessing of the passing thank you yeah, I mean, that, that's that's exactly what I needed to hear, too, just right now. And um, no doubt, it, you know, people tuning in as well, just just having a, that feeling that it's OK. And I love the the description of the Harley Davidson, the orchestra. That's that's exactly what it is. Like it's it's there. The engines are revved up. Well, you can't you can't put a little chamber around that, that Harley Davidson to quiet it down. You, you kind of just have to be with it. And, and it's like the, the emotions that come and mm -hmm. and it's interesting you know as Sonia's going through her grieving process there's times where I recognize that like she'll say like you're not letting me grieve in the way that I need to grieve and and sometimes it's like this this raw this rage that comes out and just allows her to that's part of her you know grieving process is to is to just share that like you need to just let me be and and it's it's beautiful I want to share a story. There was a, a great Ragi who, you know, a couple hundred years ago, a great Ragi was traveling through the countryside and he was on a cart, you know, a cart that was drawn by probably oxen or what, whatever. Uh, and he had his, his, uh, his group with him, right? Whatever instrument he played, and he was one of the great vocal ragis. And they got to a particular village, and they could see the cremation pyre. And they could hear the voice of the wife And it was an agonizing crying beyond crying. And he asked everyone to stop. And he made his way to the fire. 
and he sat next to the wife. And he listened with all of his body until it was done. And then he came back and he got into the cart and they continued on their way. And he was asked, what had he done? What was that that he did? And he said he wanted to absorb the sound of the channel between life and afterlife. Because that woman's voice had opened that channel. And it was within the sound that she was making that she was still in marriage with her husband. Now it could be a mother, it could be a father, it could be a sister, it could be a friend. But that mourning, grieving process, if allowed to be fully experienced, then you can imagine the sound of someone's voice when they are fully experiencing it. That is the blessing of that. And all the rage is, is just the, the, just the fire that's necessary to push away anything that is obstructing that connection. You just articulated everything I've been feeling for the last couple of weeks, especially when you spoke about the threads. And I think I was explaining this to Nick once that Manani, I felt like, was the one that held the threads of especially the mother lineage for me and in her passing, which was a whole COVID passing too. So there were so many elements to that of not being able to be around her for the last year. And after growing up with her or she, she raised us in our home, it's like she let those go. And now there's this element of like us having to step up into a neck into the next generation and not being able to honor what she has done for us because we weren't allowed to have a funeral, we weren't allowed to bathe her, we weren't allowed to do many of the rituals that we would do as a family to have that process together to grieve. So I feel like that um, there's been blocks in that connection to her. So then I have these moments where I can connect to her and um, yeah, then my mind comes in with, well, I should, I should be done with this now. It's okay. She's in a no. place. She's, she's no, good. you should not be done with it until you are done with it. Do not, do not use, do not use the two dimensional brain to right, wrong, good, bad yourself. Mother point, connection, umbilical, absolutely, absolutely essential, absolutely essential. And we think grieving is a sad, bad, this, that. No, grieving is a real thing. Grieving is, that's like saying chewing is very bad. 
oh, I, I love the taste, but the chewing is so bad, you know? No, no, grieving is grieving. Grieving is grieving. It's not bad. The two-dimensional brain goes good, bad, and it has to categorize everything. No, grieving is grieving, period. Grieving is grieving. And you're having to perform the bathing in your grieving because you weren't able to perform it physically. You're having to perform the prayers and the rituals and the touch that you could have had with each other in your grieving because you weren't able to perform it prior. It's so beautiful. It is so wonderful. Release yourself into it. And when your two-dimensional brain says, this should be over, I would just do, you know, I would just have some sign language and I won't do it because I don't know who all's, but I was going to, I was going to give the Saturn but salute. Go ahead. Do the Saturn salute. <laughs> Saturn salute. I, no, I would just do this to the, yeah. in a very loving way to the two dimensional brain. You just say, Hey, you, you actually are very good for me. You help me keep on the correct side of the road when I'm driving. But right now, I don't need that. And so thank you very, very much for thinking that you were offering some assistance to me. But that's okay. I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to be grieving now, if you don't mind. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, when, and when you go into it, you know, you're going you're gonna to cry so hard you laugh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... and because because she in her now infinite form is um is appreciative of the of the connection because they can't enforce connection they can only connect when we allow them to mm -hmm. and right now the way in which you're allowing the connection is through grieving and eventually the way that you will allow once those ectoplasmic threads are all um, disengaged, then the way you'll be able to um, connect is through, you know, more of a celebratory and a more of a, a reverent form. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, but that's, beautiful. but that's downstream, you know, that's four dimensional. That's downstream. That's right now. What you're doing is you're, you're grieving you're grieving that, that physical connection. And then eventually you'll go into the fourth dimension, which is downstream, right? Fourth dimension is sequential time. And you'll go downstream. And then all of a sudden you'll meet again in the, in the higher dimensions, the fifth, sixth, seventh, on up to the, you know, 108th dimension or whatever. Um, speculation is always just speculative. As to how many dimensions there are, but probably there's no limit. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Guru Singh, you've got such amazing, you know, life experience, wisdom, and, and teaching, um, and so many people that that tune into not just this podcast, but you know, whenever they hear you speak, 
they, they just keep wanting more. <laughs> I know every, every men's camp I go to, I, I always come back. And so I, you just, you don't even understand what we went through. It was this incredible experience and your, your ability to teach is just so profound uh, because it just, it hits, it feels like truth because it, you feel it in your heart. And I want to make sure that people get a chance to find their way to you. Um, and you've like, through this process of COVID through this process of releasing, releasing teachers and transformation, um, you've put together an amazing uh, university online for people to access these teachings. And uh, I w would you mind spending a little time just kind of telling us a little bit more about that and for, for where to go and, and what it's all about? Well, the, the Kundalini community's scandal <clears throat> was immediately followed by the COVID pandemic international global shutdown and quarantine and so we had the combination of trying to navigate around the scandal and not being able to teach in person and with this sort of uh, bifecta if you will not a trifecta but a bifecta uh, we looked at the fact that the teachings were through the evidence of studies in medical schools and through the life experiences of millions of people, the teachings are solid. And with the COVID circumstance, you know, a lot of yoga centers stopped being able to function because in my classes, we would pack the rooms and you know that's how we paid the rents and so all of that just dissolved and so we said okay well the teachings are solid let's figure out a way in which we can convert what the experience had been over the years into the experience that we're now going to be limited to and so we spent about seven to nine months developing over 500 pages of manual, over 200 videos to teach a 200 hour that is Yoga Alliance certified training. And you can call it a teacher training or you can just call it an advanced training in consciousness because not everyone feels like they wanna be a teacher. But what it is, it's a very, very, very deep dive into the not only just ancient, but also modern teachings of higher consciousness. I mean, so many things are being discovered in these days with all of the instruments that medicine and, and science has that were never known, for example, the teachings as they were traditionally taught was that there's seven generations of, of genealogical influence. These were the ancient teachings. And if you think of seven generations of, of ancestral influence, that was 254 ancestors that are influencing your body. And that's influencing your emotions. And that's influencing your thoughts. So you had these seven generations 
two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64, and 128 on the seventh level of ancestors that were influencing you. Modern science through the genome project of deciphering the human genome, they now discovered that there is 14 generations of influence that they can that they can document. There may be more, but 14 that they can document. 14 generations, it numbers become exponential. That number now becomes 32,766 ancestors. 32,766 ancestors that have all led to your two parents giving birth to you. Mm-hmm. And so you have this incredible vast ancient teachings and you have the incredible new scientific discoveries and research. All of this we have combined in Kundalini University's presentation of a 200-hour training in Kundalini Yoga and the Kriya Shastra, how to build Kriya, how to, and we go through all of the very same kinds of areas that other yoga trainings go through. And it's, uh, it's life changing. In addition to that, we created what we call, that's Kundalini University. We also created what you, we call Kundalini Foundation. And Kundalini Foundation is a not-for-profit classroom, online classroom. We want you and the two of you to teach in it. We want, and, and, and not just yoga, but also teach, you know, what you would teach at men's camp or what you would teach in all that you work with your, your patients. Um, because it's an online classroom that wants to, we want eventually to have it running 24-7 to be reaching all over the world, Mm. which is the beauty of the pandemic, forcing everyone to go online. Now you have students coming into your class that are in New Zealand, that are in Ireland, that are in Russia, that are in China. And so that was the the second thing that, that we've done. And now we're also developing a a platform called Tiaga, named after my grandson, um, that is going to be able to deliver everyone. It'll be able to deliver your teachings from your clinic. It will be able to uh, deliver uh, Tommy and Kia's teachings. It will be able to deliver Deepak Chopra's teachings. It will be able to deliver Tony's teachings. It will be able to deliver all of our teachings because it's going to be this incredible platform that kind of replaces some of the more um let me not go there some of the current platforms that are having issues with consciousness Mm -hmm. right that are that people are wanting to move away from because they don't feel there's that higher uh, intention. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fine because the world needs everything. Mm-hmm. But 
for those of us that want to be on a, a platform that is really going to be, it's not going to be um, analyzing our students' behavior patterns, right? So that they can, <laughs> so that they can be sold some creepy product, right? <laughs> Wow. So these are the things that we're working on. We're working on Kundalini University. We're in full flow. We're more than halfway through our first uh, group. Um, it's 90% Guru Singh presenting, you know, um, in, in the active form. I teamed up with an incredible yogi, yogini, if you will, uh, Brent Larkin, who is like the number one Hatha teacher on YouTube and uh, in Google search. And she was a student in our Seattle training uh, that uh, just when COVID hit and we looked at each other and we said, hey, let's get together and let's do what you do because she's been doing online trainings for eight years now. Wow. So that... I mean, the product and the content is remarkable. Um, presentation is understandable and the accessibility is global. It's so great. It's amazing. I mean, there, there's something, you know, that seemed a little bit, um, I think unreachable maybe for people when they, you know, when they let's think of like yoga West of Vancouver, we send patients there at, at times and they're like, well, it's just a little bit too much going on as far as like there, there maybe felt a rigidity. There's, you know, there's the turbans, there's the beards, there's, you know, it's a different culture. And, and I love that, that, I mean, you keep transforming yourself. There's like, there's no end in sight. It's this constant evolution, but this merging of accessibility for people that maybe wasn't there in this older version. I mean, it's just, it's really remarkable. So I love that, uh, I love that you, you, like you're just such a good uh, mirror mentor for so many, just to see that you're not rigid in how you do things. It's this constant unfolding that, that keeps, uh, keeps on growing, keeps, keeps on changing. It's, it's really remarkable. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's kind of the nature of evolution. Mm -hmm. Um. I can remember when I was learning to um, play music, I, they started me on, my parents started me on a piano. And then I went to a violin and then a, ba a stand-up bass and then a guitar. And I remember my teachers always having a specific way of, here's how you have to hold your hands and here's how you have to do this and here's how you have to do that. And that always, registered in me that this wasn't true that this isn't how you have to hold your hands if you can get a wonderful sound out and you can make people you can move people with the sound and you can hold your hands any way you want and i feel the same way about kundalini yoga I believe that, yes, you do have to play the keys with your fingers. Well, you could play with your elbow if you want, it's fine. <laughs> but to get the good sound out, you have, to, you have to do that. But other than that, the you know, it's up to you. 
there are guiding principles, there are shastras, but there are also innovations and new generations. Mm -hmm. And you've got to listen to the self, which is what all conscious awakening is always taught throughout the millennia. You've got to listen to that inner voice. Mm -hmm. So the rigidity from the outside establishes a workable starting point. Mm -hmm. What's well, one of the core teachings a flexible spine equals a flexible mind and we have to have flexibility in all that we do. It reminds me of a funny story when we were teaching one of our retreats, uh, one of the gentlemen that were in there and I was teaching and he just, he could just couldn't get his arms up for Satkriya and I would just giggle to myself, like why can't he just put his arms up and just do it. And then Narinja and I were having a laugh about it, how we've been taught to like be so perfect in our posture, but he just doing this had this amazing awakening and experience when he was with us. So I think that flexibility is so necessary. And it meets you where you are, right? I mean, your, mm -hmm. your body's the container, the vehicle that's allowing you to access that consciousness. And, mm -hmm. and it's just, it's it's deciding the limits of where, where that access point is. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, Guru Singh, I, I know we've we've gone a little bit over uh, the the time allotted, but uh, um, it's been such a pleasure to connect with you. And so, uh, people are going to want to know how to get to the online university. So, if you could just sort of uh, let people know where they can access you. I mean, there's GuruSingh.com. I mean, this guy's on uh, Twitter, Instagram. He's everywhere. Podcast is <laughs> amazing. Got, the yeah. Podcast is incredible. It's been like a, a guiding force in my life that I just keep tuning into. So I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of different things there, but you can, uh, the, the handle on my, my name or whatever you want to call it on, uh, social media is Guru Singh Yogi. And, um, you can go to kundaliniuniversity.com. You can also get there by going to gurusing.com. And there's a 60-page brochure that you can download that tells you all about the university. You can get to classes through both websites, um, you know, classes that are in the week. And not just taught by me, but taught by wonderful teachers from all over the world. So that's how you can get to me. And um, I, would, uh, I would love to um, hear that what we have been talking about in this hour plus um, has impact on your life. Because as Sonia said so beautifully that, you know, flexible spine and flexible mind we are flexible in our relationship with you because what works for you, our, our task is not to deliver something to you. Our task is to inspire you to deliver something to yourself. And if our way of inspiring you has worked, let us know. And if it hasn't worked, <laughs> let us know because we'll want to with that flexibility we'll want to be able to change mm -hmm. it's beautiful yeah. well, sonia always has a question for everybody at the end yes so, um so 
my question for you, if um, knowing that your time in this physical body was up tomorrow and you were going to move into that subtle realm, what is the one thing that you'd want to leave behind to this world or one message? The outcome is guaranteed, and the map is with you. If you just take it step by step and enjoy each step, the outcome is guaranteed. Oh, that's beautiful. So good. Guru saying thank you so much for spending your morning with us and your in your home and before we go to the podcast <laughs> you're saying this you're actually recording from your old bedroom which is amazing the the, the home that the guru sings in today is is you know, it goes back generations but it's 100 years it was 100 years old did you say yeah the the home has been yeah. in our family it was built 100 years ago and my and my parents bought it when it was brand new and um when my parents had both passed away we hadn't we had no thought of anything other than maintaining it as a, as a sanctuary and it served our family. Our grandchildren were born in it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great sanctuary. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it's, it's just so much to what you spoke to today of just, you know, honoring the, the structure and the support and, uh, the foundation. And it's really, really beautiful that it's, you know, past the, hands of time. And, uh, and I just think it's so cool that you're podcasting from your, your old bedroom. <laughs> it's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing uh, all your love and, and wisdom today. Let's do it again sometime. Yes. Absolutely. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.